I'm in Luke chapter 8 this morning. Luke chapter 8. Yeah, I got kind of stuck here in Luke at the first of the year. You know, we had, we read through Luke, and now I'm reading through my Bible, and I have not passed Genesis yet. 23, 20, I'm going on about 23 words a day instead of verses. Uh, but uh, I'm getting to, uh, I'm getting through Genesis. It's awful hard to, once you uh, learn to uh, look into God's word to, to uh, keep, I, I just keep staying in one spot. Can't, I can't, I guess I can't exhaust it is what I'm saying. Okay, we're going to look at Luke chapter 8, about verse 41. There's a very interesting process that takes place. It's the second resurrection that we see that Jesus performed, and that would be in verse 41. We see three people there in verse 41, or from 41 through 55, uh, the story of the lady with the issue of blood. And I got intrigued at first in this portion of Scripture with the number 12. I believe that God does things in or decently in an order because my Bible says so. I don't always understand the order, but I know he does it in his timing and his perfection. And I, I think he does some things numeralic, numeralic, whatever you want to say, by the numbers. And that's where we get the old saying, by the numbers. And 12 tends to be the number of judgment. Even to this day, we have 12 people on a jury. We have, you know, uh, 12 is the number of judgment. Ironically, the number 11 is new beginnings. And you can find these validated in Scripture. I'm not talking about the codes or anything like that. You see some of the new stuff. I am just talking about seeking out God's Word and looking into God's Word and seeing what different things mean. And 12 tends to mean judgment. And you see here the number 12 is repeated twice, which is a form of 12 is a division of 6, the division of 2, and uh, it has a lot of implications when you get into it mathematically. But uh, we see here that the, uh, I'll read to you verse 41 through 43 for a minute. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come unto him, unto his house. For he had one only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a-dying, but as he went to the people, as he went, the people thronged him. And a woman, having an issue of blood, 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any. So we have this lady, and we have a daughter that's laying there and sick, and we have a, her, her dad. We see here that the man, Jairus, was a ruler of the synagogue. That he was probably, in the sense that this is phrased, and in comparing it to uh, uh, the Old Testament, you can find out that he wasn't necessarily of the highest rank in the synagogue. He probably had, and it's a spouse that he's had, he had authority in there. He was probably uh, equivalent to the one who made sure the offerings were done in order and the, the uh, 
slaughters were cleaned up and that kind of thing. It implies that he was a regular laborer and of specific rank in the synagogue. He had to know his scriptures. He had to know at least two or three different languages, probably Greek and, of course, Hebrew, his native tongue. But he had some authority, and he had to have memorized the first five books of the Bible that the Hebrew people at that time called the Pentateuch. That's, That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He had those memorized. And part of his job would be to see that everything was carried out according to Scripture. He had a, 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 a reputation amongst his peers. He had to have a ability to know the law. But yet we find he comes forward here to a man who was of questionable authority amongst the Hebrews, who was considered by some to be a heretic, by others to be a renegade, by others to be... A, blasphemous. In fact, he was later crucified for just that. And uh, he comes before that man, and what does he do? He falls to his knees. He falls to his knees in a form of worship and acknowledgement. When he did that, he threw away everything he had earned from his childhood as far as social recognition. I like to call it social suicide. Now, I was preaching in a little village up in northern part of Alaska, where they had a bus ministry, which was a little four-wheeler with a cart and little chairs in it. It was cute. And uh, I said social suicide. And that's not very well accepted in the northern mainland of Alaska. The village, the hills around that particular village had many a grave site of people who had committed real suicide. And they were trying to play down the fact that Uh, suicide was honorable. This case, this man was committing it socially. He wasn't dying. He was in the fact that his daughter was dying and he was emotionally upset. And the first thing Christ brought to him was rest. There's three points to this message. It's the man. He got rest. The daughter, she got resurrected. And the woman, she got redemption. And we see those things demonstrated here. And that's about as far as I want to go with the whole story, but we'll touch on it in completeness. But the first introduction, those three people, is what I wanted to focus on today as it it centers around each one of us and our needs. My Bible says, Come on to me, all ye that labor, and I will give you rest. That's that's, uh, Matthew 11.28. This man certainly was in great distress. Distress. And he took the last resort he could. Now, it's interesting that this is a daughter. If it would have been his son, it might be a little more understandable socially. Because in that day and in that culture and in those, amongst those people, women had little value. Now, it shows you that in God's eyes, everyone has equal value. Because Jesus didn't hesitate to resurrect this, do his miracle upon this girl. But in that particular circumstance where that man had only one child and it was a daughter and he comes forward and throws his whole life away for the sake of the opportunity or the hope that she would be healed was quite a sacrifice on his part and the Lord says I'm going I'm going to go and take care of it I'll give you rest and we see as that develops we go to the daughter 
he, he was humbled. He, he committed so, social suicide. He besought. That word besought means to beg. Now we're going to focus on the daughter. By the way, this portion of Scripture uh, is repeated three times in Matthew 9 and Mark chapter 5 and here in Luke cha uh, verse chapter 8, verse 41. And uh, the story of the daughter. He loved his daughter. He lost his job. He would lo immediately lose his position in the, in the, uh, in his society and his standing at the temple because he went outside of the normal uh, procedures. He was supposed to sacrifice, and perhaps he already did sacrifice animals to that regard, and and do a blood offering and a weed offering and the various offerings for her ailment. But uh, he went ahead. Now, the interesting thing about 12, as it shows up here, you notice that the daughter, we're going to focus on the daughter in verse 42 for a little bit. The daughter was how old? She was 12 years old. And the woman had an issue of 12. We see 12 shows up again in the book of Luke, way back in uh, chapter 2, and how old Jesus was when he came to the temple, 12 years old. I would say if you had to point to an age of accountability, it would be 12. Uh, the Hebrew culture, they considered 12 as a time for their bar mitzvah. Nowadays in the Hebrew culture, they wait till they're about 13. They can, get, they can have a bar mitzvah, which would mean young manhood in the family between the ages of 11 and 13. Some of that has been loosened, the requirement for them to be just 12 because of the Hebrew people been pushed around the world in different societies and different circumstances where they weren't able to practice a bar mitzvah even openly. But in our country and today, and in this day and age, the Hebrew people practice it anywhere between 11 and 13, 12 being the marker of a person being of a reasonable accountability for themselves. Now, the age of a total independence from your household and your family, what do you think that would be? We call it 21 in our culture and in most states, but in the Hebrew culture, when Christ began his ministry at 30, is what the Hebrew people call your independent age, totally independent and accountable, completely accountable to yourself. So when you read about different stories in Scripture and they go, well, he's of age, ask him, you knew the man that Christ healed from blindness, I believe it was, was at least 31 years old. Different things like that. So 12, in that point of significance, signifies a complete position of judgment. You're old enough to account for yourself. And uh, hence we, to this day, in our culture, have a trial with 12 jurors in it. They perform judgment. Everyone's accountable, and they hold whoever they are by the number accountable for what they've done. All right, so we have the number 12, and that kind of put me to sleep as far as where it went from there. But as far as the number 12, that's all I could carry it out. But I still was intrigued by these three people. Verse 1 gets rest, and now we're looking at the daughter who actually gets resurrected. We're going to read here, this is the third of Christ's resurrections. The first resurrection he had was in chapter 7 of this book of Luke. And the last resurrection was on Lazarus in chapter 11, verse 44. 
Now, there are 10 resurrections in Scripture. There are 10. That's when somebody comes from dead to alive, something we don't see much around here anymore. Uh, but if you study your Scripture, there's a resurrection. And, in, and some people even credit Christ as having four resurrections because that's the number of the earth, four resurrections, and the fact that when he died, he himself was resurrected, and then you could go to five resurrections in direct responsibility of Christ's hands in the fact that when he died, the tombs were opened and many people were resurrected from the tombs, the Old Testament, some of the Old Testament saints and whatnot and so forth. We see there, connected directly to Christ, five resurrections. There's five more, one performed by the apostles, one performed by a holy man. There's different resurrections all through Scripture. But yet today we say it never happened. To believe that somebody died on the cross for my sins and became alive again seems impossible. It wasn't in the Christ day and age. I, uh, I think it's highly unlikely now, but I'm not going to say you couldn't be resurrected. In fact, every one of you who have accepted Christ as your personal Savior will be resurrected one day bodily, to be absent with the, to be absent of this earth, you'll be present with the Lord. Your spirit goes to heaven. Your body stays wherever it was laid last, and uh, eventually you'll be resurrected and reunited with Christ. Wow, you're pushing that resurrection a little bit. Yeah, I kind of look forward to it. I'm looking forward to a new body with Christ. I'm looking to a day where I'll never grow old. I'll look, I'm looking forward to where I don't have to duck dinosaurs like I did when I was in my youth. So that's what the Lord has done for me, and that's what I look forward to, and each one of you can. If you put your faith and trust in God and take him at his word, that's what this man did. He put his faith and trust in God. He took away his former religious ceremonies and convictions and finally decided he was going to live according to God's word and he threw himself at his feet and put himself at God's mercy and he humbled himself in the years that he spent. He had to have spent more than 30, probably 40 years to get to the position he was in his social standing, both in the temple and amongst society. He had to put at least 40 years into his faith, misplaced faith at that. But he put his faith and trust in the man that stood in front of him and asked him to heal his daughter. Now the daughter, what did she do? She lay there, got sick, and died. Why? She wasn't 12. Well, she was just 12. She hadn't had her bar mitzvah yet. She hadn't been proclaimed society. She wasn't responsible yet. Her father took the responsibility at high consequences. And she uh, died, we'll see later. But yet, in verse 54, it says, And he put them all out and took her by the hand and called, saying, Maid, arise. And her spirit came again, and she arose straightway, and he commanded to give her meat. She was resurrected because not only 
she was submissive to God in her, in her dormant state, but her father was submissive to God and took God at his word. She wasn't old enough. So if you want your children saved today, if you want your children to be spiritual, start taking God at his word and applying it to your life. There's a message there for us and hope for our children. doesn't always work out the way we want. I'd like to see my son be the next guy in the, behind me in the pulpit here. But I'm thankful they're both saved. I have two sons. I'm thankful my daughter's saved. And it's because I put God first in my life or I humbled myself and tried to live according to God's word as much as I could. And that's simply all it takes. Be obedient to God's word as much as you can and as much as you're held accountable for. Now, the woman having an issue of blood, this is verse 43, blood 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any. And in fact, in Mark, it says none of them helped her. She says she wasn't any better for it. She actually got worse. Now, she didn't evidently know the physician I know, not only the great physician in heaven until she got to this position, but I know a good physician here on this earth. And uh, she, uh, she got took. She was putting her faith and trust in mankind, not in God's word. Now, I'm, I'm not saying anything against physicians. I am, in fact, saying physicians are a gift from God. And if you acknowledge it in that regard, you'll be blessed. But if you think you're going to live forever because you take the right pill, you're not. When it becomes against God's word, when you don't evaluate yourself according to God's word, this woman knew she needed to be healed. She spent everything she had. She had committed social suicide for 12 years. She had to be shunned because she had an issue of blood. She had to be avoided because she was sickly without question. In those days, if you didn't have uh, the priest evaluate you, who wasn't always a blessed physician, uh, the priest had to evaluate you, and he called the shots on whether you had cancer or an incurable issue of blood or many other ailments, and you were considered a sinner. You were considered short of the mark. You were considered deficient. So she had two things going against her. One, she was a lady. She didn't have anybody to represent her. Two, she was an ailment, an unexplainable ailment, and uh, she was in, considered contagious, unclean, a number of different things. She went through the other side of the veil that the, the Hebrew man, the ruler in the synagogue did, and she put her faith and trust in the man walking down the street at the time. And she put her faith and trust in what he said, come on unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the other verse I like to think of at this time is, I got to put on my glasses to read it, John chapter 11, verse 20, 25. I am the resurrection and the life he was proclaiming himself as. So she wanted to just, 
unworthily, she couldn't get close enough to touch him. It was illegal for her to touch him. It was considered she committed her last offense socially when she touched him. Just as much of a sin as it was in her culture and her time to touch him, it was just as much of a sin for the ruler in the synagogue to fall down prostrate before him. She had not much to lose, but she gave it all to Jesus. That's why I can say if you trust in God's word to whatever degree you're capable of, did you catch that? To whatever degree you're capable of, God still loves you and he will work it out in your life. I'll never give a million dollars to Jesus, to the God's work. Maybe I will over my lifetime, but I'm not going to be able to dish in and pay for the building program tomorrow out of my back pocket. God knows that. He knows my limitations. He knows the sins I carry from my ancestors even in my mind and my shortcomings, and he will still honor me. He will still bless me as I strive to be in accordance with his word. Just like every one of us have shortcomings and failures in our lives where we cannot accomplish all that we wish we could for God or that we know we should for God, he will bless you as much as, you, as your efforts go. You will come together. That doesn't mean we need, to, we need to ignore what we can do. It means we should strive to do what we should do. So, Here's this lady, she comes forward, and you know the illustration. She touches the hem of his garment, and he's aware of that. And in verse, so about 50, he says, And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace. She did what she could. She got as close as she dared. She touched the hem of his garment. It's a wonderful thing, God's grace. His grace is demonstrated here to the Innocent, in verse 42, it's demonstrated to the proud, in verse 41, and it's demonstrated to the humble, in verse 44. His grace is sufficient. Jesus Christ, it says, by the blood you are redeemed. By the blood this woman was condemned, and by the blood she was resurrected. She experienced uh, resurrection in a spiritual sense. The daughter, she experienced resurrection in the physical sense. They reached for God and they received. I hope when you came to church this morning, you were reaching for God. You will receive. God will bless you. You reach for him. Come nigh unto me. And he will bless you. Faith is experiencing God's love. Each one of these people have a faith they could base. One was miraculously raised from the dead. And once she, and as she was on the very precipice of personal relationship, of being personally capable, being personally cognitively skillful in acknowledging what she was about, she knew that Jesus Christ had given her new life. The man, once he, he swallowed his pride and humbled himself, he received God's gift of love, mercy, and grace. The daughter would live 
that experience of love, mercy, and grace. And certainly the woman at the well was not, or the woman, at the, uh, the woman here who touched his garments, was not exempt from God's mercy, love, and grace, regardless of where she stood with others. What are you reaching for today? Who are you trusting in today? Where have you spent, what have you spent your money on? Pretty, pretty tough, pretty tough questions. But these people all had to answer for that. The one man had to answer for where he had spent his money. The woman was going to answer for where she was going to put her money from there on out, and so was the daughter. Each one of us, as we come to the knowledge and salvation of Jesus Christ, are responsible according to his word. Let's all stand. I don't know if I made myself very clear on salvation, and I'll just wrap it up with that particular point. All these people trusted in Christ and took him at his word. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ died for our sins, we shall be saved. That's a very loose paraphrase. But every one of us have to trust in God's word to accept him as our personal savior. I don't know the circumstances in your life. I don't know your past or your future. But this kind of encompasses that these three people kind of encompass everybody. I can't think. Uh, I don't know if your future is miraculous. I don't know if your future is condemned. I don't know if your future is a positive future. But I do know that you'll have rest, redemption, and God's plan in your life accomplished as you submit yourself to him.